This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. time people have asked me about the why we play this at the top of almost every hour right the beginning of every show this enter sandman theme by metallica and a lot of people know that i'm a baseball fan a lot of people think maybe uh, i stole that from mariano rivera you know frank's coming in to close the show mow him down maybe that's what this is all about no uh, some people say well we know you're not a yankee fan maybe it's uh, when billy wagner was the closer for the Mets, and he used to come in with Enter Sandman briefly. And no, that's not it either. The truth is, that is one of the many things that I have stolen from one of the great radio artists of all time. And I am just thrilled, as he's done on a few occasions previously, that he's agreed to spend the hour with me and with you. I am very pleased to welcome veteran radio talk show host, a guy that has had the kind of success both in terms of ratings and revenue that most people who try to do this for a living can only dream of on local stations, on some of the biggest stations in the country, in a nationally syndicated format, and on the Internet. Now he's one of the most successful podcasters anywhere in the country. Gives me a great deal of of pleasure to welcome the one and only Tom Likas. Tom, it's great to talk with you again. Thanks for joining me. So uh, how is podcast life, uh, Tom? Obviously, you spent so many years on the radio. You did radio, I think, uh, from an artist's perspective and from a business perspective better than anybody. How are you liking the uh, world of podcasts? Well, you know, it's not that different than the world of broadcasting. The Obviously, the big difference is, uh, you know, in broadcasting, you are talking to everybody with a scan button. For me, I'm talking to the people who pay. So I have a much smaller audience, but I really don't care because I'm I'm doing the show for the people who pay for it. And you know what we'll do uh, throughout the course of the hour? If people have questions for Tom, they can give us a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. It seems like every day there's someone, a, a different podcast coming out. Sometimes it's a celebrity with a podcast. Sometimes it's a, a podcast that studies the uh, mating habits of spotted lanternflies. Sometimes it's a podcast that can analyze uh, the every episode of uh, Ozark. It seems like there's a podcast for every interest. And there's a lot of bad stuff out there, but there's a lot of stuff that people really seem to enjoy. Do you see, uh, both from a, a, the potential of a business perspective and from a creative perspective, the same kind of energy in the podcast field now that you did when you were first starting out in radio? Nope. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's not like that at all. Uh, you know, the reality is that in New York City, when I was a kid, there were 30 radio stations. And the audience was divided up between those 30 radio stations. And that was it. And now the way the business works is anybody with a laptop and a condenser microphone is a broadcast. And so the result is that there's a lot of people making a dollar ninety-eight per episode. Unlike radio, where I made, you know, I made a seven-figure salary for a long time. Kind of like 
the fact is that my my content is heard by the people who want to hear it and who pay for it. And so the idea of going on, you know, and, and speaking of WABC, you know, I think of the days when uh, uh, Scott Muni and Dan Ingram sat at the offices of WABC at 1336th Avenue, and they shouted to a bunch of screaming 13-year-old females who were outside the Warwick Hotel one block away, and there was immense screaming and yelling, and everybody was very excited. Uh, uh, podcasting is not a mass appeal thing. It is uh, specific to the interest that people have, whether it's the interest in the host or the interest in the topic. And that's a lot smaller than just having a mass audience and talking to everybody with two legs. Tom, I'm, I'm going to put you on hold because we're having a hard time hearing you. Your, your phone's breaking up a little bit, and there's a, there's a lot of wisdom that I want to try and uh, glom from you. So I'm going to put you back on hold for for a second, and right. we're going to we're going to try and get you to a a better a better position. So I'll leave that to uh, to you guys if you could try and figure that out now. Uh, if you're not familiar with Tom Likas, Tom Likas was a huge, huge talent in terrestrial radio as a nationally syndicated host. He was on a lot of great local stations, AM and FM, which is pretty rare, uh, stations in uh, Los Angeles, stations in Arizona, and of course got his start in the New York area where he grew up listening to great radio stations like this one and great radio talents like Bob Grant and uh, Barry Farber and Barry Gray and a number of others. So it's very interesting to me that Tom, um, see, his the station that he was on, was he was doing a syndicated show that was owned by CBS. That station, the parent company, the parent ship of his syndicated network, flipped formats. They did away with the talk format. And they kept paying Tom for a couple of years on the condition that he not be able to go to another radio station or go and do a podcast. Now, they waited out this time, and then he started doing something really creative and very different. He started doing a live radio show on the Internet, not a podcast, but a live radio show on the Internet, something that nobody had ever really done before successfully, at least not from a financial perspective. He found a way to make that program financially successful. And now, if you go to uh, premiumtom.com, he's sort of doing the same thing in the world of, uh, of podcasts. All right, uh, Tom, uh, we, uh, we got you back. Sorry about that. I'm glad. Yeah, uh, no problem. I'm glad we got you back. Now, um, so the, you, you think these niche podcasts, which maybe cater to an audience of uh, five, uh, 500 people or 1,000 instead of 10,000 or 100,000, that doesn't necessarily uh, float people's boat the same way that, uh, that Dan Ingram or Scott Muni back in the heyday of W.A. Beatles C might have? Well, as, as you know, and I'm sure you've heard the old air checks of this, the Beatles stayed at the Warwick Hotel on what's that, 55th Street, and uh, WABC was at like 53rd and 6th Avenue, and uh, the WABC jocks, specifically Scott Muni and Dan Ingram, sat in the studio and uh, shouted, and all the girls were screaming from down on 6th Avenue. And that was, you know, that's how Mass Appeal was created, being able to talk to thousands and thousands of people. But the way it works now, whether you're streaming content, movies, or short-lived TV series or whatever, 
the way it works now is you pay to hear the episodes you care about, the personalities you care about. The, uh, it's not given away for free to half a million or a million people as it has been for all time, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. One of the people that it seems to be sort of a modern podcast rock star is Joe Rogan. It just came out last week that uh, Joe Rogan was uh, dethroned for the number one spot on Spotify by, of all people, Meghan Markle. Now, a few months ago, Meghan Markle comes out with this teaser promoting her new podcast. Here's a little right. bit of the uh, of the teaser. You have the word skanky in America? That's we do of, have yeah. that word. I was waiting for you to smile at some of the compliments. You didn't. They are weaker, smaller. They are less intelligent. This is how we talk about women. The words that raise our girls. And how the media reflects women back to us. Stop following me! But where do these stereotypes come from? And how do they keep showing up and defining our lives? Now... Initially, there was audio from you in this Meghan Markle teaser, I guess, holding you up as the archetype of a misogynistic media commentator. And you were none too pleased with that. Well, simply because they use my voice without my permission. Look, if you want to do a podcast and charge people to listen to it, great. Uh, Pay all the people who appear on it. I appeared on it and I was not compensated. That's a lawsuit waiting to happen. And so did they stop using your voice at that point? Uh, no, they just moved on to future episodes of the show, and it's still on there. Uh, but really, you, you get down to the point where is it worth filing a lawsuit right. against somebody uh, and the money you would spend on that? Uh, look, my voice was used without my permission. I deserved to be compensated, and I wasn't. And if I didn't have better things to do, I'd file a lawsuit. But I do, so I didn't. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, So, Meghan Markle, what does that say about the sensibilities of the American public and the podcast listener specifically, that she is now the most listened to podcast in the country? Or in the world, I guess. That's not true. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Frank. You know, I love you. I love you like life itself. (laughs) But that's not true. That's not true. Well, number one on Spotify. We don't know. Who's number two? Who's number three? Who's number four? Who's making these listings? Who's the numbers here? Where is that coming from? We don't know. And, uh, you know, the fact is there's podcasts in many places other than Spotify. So you're not the number one or number two based on the fact that you're on number one, number two on Spotify. It doesn't mean anything. I mean, Mark Marin has a podcast. Is he on Spotify? No. Is he counted in that list? No. I mean, who's number one, number two, number three? The answer is we really don't know for sure. Well, that's fair. Hey, Joe Rogan, obviously, who supposedly is now number two on Spotify, he uh, got into a whole firestorm over some of the content. By the way, I hate to interrupt. He may be number two on Spotify. Who's number three? You got me. Nobody knows. You don't, and they don't, and no one does. But, But so he got into a little bit of a tiff with Spotify over what some of his previous content included. Sometimes it was stuff that was, uh, you know, that was kind of risque. Other times it was uh, things that had to do with uh, vaccine skepticism and things of that nature. I, I mean, I'm sure he obviously made a lot of money by selling his podcast library to Spotify and producing it through them. But seeing what Joe Rogan went through, has that sort of solidified your business model, not partnering with a big company and doing this all on your own? Yes, because as you know, 
Joe Rogan has already been criticized for his content, had episodes removed from his library. You know, I can put on anything I want. It is going to stay there forever, and there's nothing anybody can do about it. Joe Rogan doesn't have that. Now, Joe Rogan does have a nine-figure contract, according to the, the, the stories we've read. But what he doesn't have is the freedom to say anything he wants and, and post anything he wants in his library and leave it up there. And that I can do. And you know what? I've got enough money personally. I do not need the permission of Spotify, mm. Twitter, or anybody. Whatever I do goes up, and that's that. We're seeing – there was an article that you were featured in in Variety, and I thought it was actually pretty interesting. I don't know what you thought of it, but about all these radio talk show hosts who either were fired or retired and have chosen to make the transition to the world of podcasts. Is this something that you think um, is going to go well for the average former uh, terrestrial talk radio host? No. Why? No. No. It's not going to go well because the average – look – and, and you're not one of these guys I'm talking about, so let's start with that. Thank you. Just so you know, yeah. this is not about you, because you're not like the other ones. But the ones who are like that, um, you know, like like let's say you're the number one guy in Charlotte, North Carolina, talking about how much you love Donald Trump. Let's say you're that guy, because mm-hmm. uh, there is a guy. We don't know who it is. There's some guy like that. But the bottom line is that being on a 50,000-watt station uh, with no competition in a market like Charlotte, uh, it's not hard to be the number one guy. But once you leave the warmth, the tender embrace of having 50,000 watts and all of those listeners, and suddenly now you are trying to sell it person to person, I mean, really, who's going to pay to hear what they can get for free on the radio? Like, for example, um, you can turn on the radio any time of the day or night. You're going to hear somebody who believes in QAnon and believes in whatever. Um, You're going to get that on the radio on any number of stations. But the minute you take it off the radio, you tell people, all right, this is $10 a month. There's a lot of people going to say, nope, not doing it. There are some podcasts like yours that people have to pay for. And if people want to check out your podcast, they go to premiumtom.com. There's others like sure. uh, like Joe Rogan and uh, and a number of others yeah. that have done well. Uh, yeah. I think Adam Carolla that are free and they have more of an advertiser-based model. Why did you choose to go the subscription route? I chose to go the subscription route because uh, I don't want anyone telling me what I can say. I don't want anyone telling me the words or the opinions I have to have. And that is what the business is full of right now. People willing to express the opinion that will sell advertising. And I won't do that. I won't go on and say the thing that the advertiser will love that will make them buy time on the show. Uh, I talk about what I want to talk about. I say what I believe. And I, I put I, I post the content in the library and elsewhere uh, that I believe in, and it's not coming down. And I have never I have never apologized for anything I've ever said, and never will. And Joe Rogan already has mm. and does. Uh, Tom Likas, my guest for the hour. We'll take your calls in just a moment. 800-848-9222. That's one eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. In just a moment, we'll talk to Tom about. 
Financial aid forgiveness, specifically student let for, uh, student debt forgiveness and this plan that has been put forward by Joe Biden, which a lot of uh, conservatives and even a lot of Democrats are taking issue with. Uh, Tom is uh, a self-made millionaire. And on his show, he would give a lot of financial advice, particularly on Monday, on uh, Mondays when they would do Money Mondays. We'll see what Tom thinks about uh, forgiving student debt, and we'll take some of your calls, 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight i'm frank morano for the better part of the last 40 years uh, whenever you would make the list of the most listened to non-conservative radio talk show hosts in the entire country at or near the top of that list was uh, tom likas sometimes his politics are a little difficult to pin down is he a libertarian is he a liberal or is he something else uh, something else besides. That's why I'm very, very eager to get his take on the situation involving President Biden and uh, student debt. By the way, Tom, how do you characterize your politics, if at all? I'm a libertarian. And and, uh, and, and one of the things I've been thinking about and thinking about in advance of coming on a target to you, Frank, is the fact that, um, you know, I don't like the way things are right now for a particular reason. The particular reason is because I am not a liberal, not a left-winger, and I never have been. But unfortunately, because of what's gone on in the last six years, uh, I have had to choose a side. But the reality is that what's going on with the student loan debt, I am totally opposed to what Biden proposed and what Biden is going to do. I'm totally opposed to giving people uh, $10,000 credit or $20,000 credit on their student loan debt simply because I went to college in New York City. I went to Fordham University in the Bronx. I went to Hunter College in Manhattan. I borrowed $25,000, which, by the way, in the 70s when I was attending, that was the maximum you could borrow for four years of college. I borrowed that money. I had to drop out after two years. And uh, I... uh, I paid the debt. I had a $25,000 debt, and I paid it off 100%. And now I'm seeing people with a quarter million dollars in debt getting money paid off from whatever it is they owe. That's not fair. Why should I, someone who had to struggle through and make it without a college degree, why should I have to pay for the college degrees of others? Yeah. I don't like it. 
Uh, Don't agree. Shelby Brendler, University of Minnesota student, was on uh, Fox 9 Minneapolis talking about student debt relief. This is what Having 10000 canceled would be great. Um, I would love it if it would be more because I know I'm very lucky in that I only have 12000 um, I know a lot of people who have more. My roommate is a med student here, and so by the time they graduate, it'll be easily a quarter of a million. <laughs> so I would love if it was more, and I would love if it was um, more equally distributed between low-income people. Now, Tom, I, I certainly agree with you, but um, you know, my my wife, for instance, she and I are not struggling, right? We make a decent living. We're not wealthy by any stretch, but we're 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 having a fine time paying our bills. And uh, she is going to get forty five hundred dollars, maybe forty eight hundred dollars of student debt relief wiped, a uh, student uh, student loan debt wiped out. When we're not exactly the kind of people that I think the, the government should be bailing out. But uh, there are others that support what President Biden is doing that say, look, uh, the middle class and the uh, lower middle class, they didn't benefit from the Trump tax cuts. This is their opportunity to get a little something from the system. What, what do you say to those that say it's their turn to get a little something? Well, look. I don't agree with the idea of the PPP loans for anybody, no matter what the politics. And I do not agree with the idea that people are going to get bills paid. I do believe that if you tell people they're going to get ten or $20,000 paid off, the next group of people applying for assistance, uh, they're going to say, the hell with it. I'm not going to pay my debt because eventually right. someone's going to step in. Uh, some politicians going to step in and help me pay my debts, so I won't pay. I, I'm a very strict believer that if you borrow money, you sign a piece of paper, you put your signature on it, you agree that you're going to pay the, the, the whatever it is you borrowed, that you pay what you borrowed. I don't care what your politics are. I don't care where you come from. Everybody's going to pay. I paid, you pay. That's how I see it, and it has nothing to do with my politics. I believe that everybody who borrows money needs to pay it back, and they do not need the rest of us helping them pay it back. Plenty of ways to go to college. You can go to community college. Uh, you can go to a trade school. You can do other things. But I do not believe that people should just be paid back for that. I don't. One other issue that's getting a lot of attention really all over the country, but especially in New York and California, is how to deal with the the homeless. And in Los Angeles, where you are these days, there's a big debate about whether vacant hotels should house the homeless. Here's uh, Kurt Peterson, the co-president of Unite Here Local 11 on CNN, talking about homeless people in uh, L.A. hotels. We think this is one part of the solution. By no means do we think this solves the homelessness crisis. But do hotels have a role to play? Of course they do. We don't want to head backwards into the segregated South, but that's kind of the language that they're talking about. There's a certain class of people, less than humans, animals they almost describe them as, to be honest with you. They don't seem to understand who the unhoused are. We're talking again about seniors, students, working people. That's who the voucher program would benefit the most. Now, that voucher program that he's talking about is a proposition that's going to be on the ballot in 2024 where L.A. residents are going to get to vote as to whether or not the more than 60,000 homeless that are currently in Los Angeles should get uh, to access the 20,000 vacant hotel rooms. How are you going to be voting on that question? 
No, I'm going to vote no. And here's why I'm going to vote no. Because if I were going to come to a city, any city, let's say New York, let's say they did this in New York, and they said that the Plaza Hotel, if it has three vacant rooms, they're going to give it up to Section 8, uh, people with Section 8 vouchers. I do not want to be in the hallway with people shooting up drugs, with people with various kinds of issues. I don't, do not want to be in the hotel with them. And so I think the hotels are going to suffer in the end because the fact is you're going to be told you have to stay in the room next door to somebody who is problematic. I don't want to be there. And if I'm the owner of the hotel, I don't want to be forced into that. By the way, I happen to believe that what is happening with the hotels next, that's going to happen with private residences. I own two houses. I own one house in Santa Barbara Wine Country, and I own one house in the Hollywood Hills. I'm mostly in Santa Barbara Wine Country, but you want to know something? Uh, my fear is that cities like Los Angeles will come to me and say, you have a four-story house in L.A. and you're not living in it, so you're going to have to let other people live in it until you come back. No, N-O, no. You, you know, one of the things uh, that I f- always found so refreshing about you on the radio, and if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Tom Likas, you could hear him on his podcast at premiumtom.com, that's premiumtom.com, is that I really don't know what to expect on uh, issue after issue from you. You're very much an independent in terms of your approach to the news. You don't see things through an, ideolo- an ideological no. lens. Now, one no. of the things that I found boring about a lot of the bigger national nationally syndicated conservative talk shows these days is I know exactly what they're going to say. I know uh, I know every minute of every episode. And that leads me to a question that I get asked all the time at parties. I get asked it by listeners, which is why is the medium of talk radio so dominated by conservative voices? What's your answer to that question? Do you really, Frank, you know, I love you. I don't want to get you in trouble. You really want the answer to that question? Yes. Because I'll give it to you. Okay, because the management, mostly not the ownership, because the ownership is conglomerates, but not at your station. Okay, because mostly the people who run these radio stations, they want the hosts to express a certain opinion. That's what they want. They want that. Let me tell you a story that has nothing with WABC or you. But it has to do with me and a radio station where I worked 30 years ago, and this is still going on. I worked at a radio station, let's say, in Los Angeles. It was in Los Angeles. And uh, uh, we had uh, a room that most people at work would call the lunchroom. But at radio, it's called the jock lounge. There's a room where they have vending machines and a sink and a place where you can bring your bag lunch and sit in and eat lunch, and you come in, you eat there, you socialize with the other personalities who work at the station. And uh, one day, the program director at the station where I was working in Los Angeles came in, and he said, I need someone to do a shift this weekend. Is anyone available? And there was one guy who used to hang out there all the time. He was not did not work for the station. He was a comedian who was a guest on any show that would have him as a guest. And, and he was always, he was hanging out at the station. I don't know how he got in or who let him in. He, somebody at the station let him come in. He was there all the time. And so when the program director came in and said, can anybody do this shift? He said, I'll do it. And the program director said to him, 
But no, and not you, because I need someone who's a conservative. And the guy said, I can do right wing. Simple as that. Now, simple as that. And suddenly, poof, he's a conservative. Um, I wouldn't do that. I, I have my opinion. I have what I'm proud of, my point of view. And there's no way I would go in and pretend to be something I'm not in order to get on the air. Right. But he did it, and lots of people do it right now. Right now. And there's a guy on a competing station to you, so it won't affect you. Mm-hmm. There's a guy right now who's on every day who uh, he's a complete phony. He doesn't have any political opinions, doesn't care about politics, but he likes working, and he likes being on the air. And so he will say he is a supporter of Donald Trump, and he will say he is a conservative, but mostly so he can stay working, not because he believes this stuff. There's a lot of guys in radio who are doing just that. I'm pretty sure I know who you're talking about, and I don't even think that person is even registered to vote. That's how little he cares about politics. That's true. By the way, Frank, I would bet, Dolly, would I bet that's true? But I would bet that he has no interest, even to this day, in politics Mm -hmm. or news. He just likes working, and he has a great voice. He sounds good on the radio. So he will say, yes, that's me. But it isn't him, and it will never be him. And there's a lot of people on the radio right now who are complete frauds, phonies, who go on and say, I believe this or I believe that, and they don't believe it. Now, and we have a bunch of people that are queuing up to talk to you, and we'll get to the calls in a second, 800-848-9222. Someone like Bob Grant, who uh, I know you knew, uh, I knew him uh, pretty well before he died. Bob made no bones about that um, this was theater, that he viewed this as as entertainment. Now, to play devil's advocate... How is what um, John Q. Phoney does any different? Because John Q. Phoney is not entertaining Lucifer. <laughs> That's true. Bob Grant and I, my politics had nothing to do with Bob Grant's politics. But you want to know something? Not only was he, in my mind, one of the most wonderful people I've ever known, Bob Grant was... Uh, a performer. He was a performer. There's nothing wrong with being a performer, but that's what he was. He was not, um, he didn't belong to a political, he may have belonged to a political party. I don't know. But he was not, uh, he was not known for being a member of a political party. He wasn't. He was uh, like other people in radio. Long John, I'm going to name names, Long John Neville, Cherry Williams, Larry Glick. He was a performer, which, by the way, I revere. Anybody can go on and perform. Anybody can go on and say, get off my phone, you jerk. I love those guys. I don't care what their politics are. Bob Grant, a hardcore conservative on WABC, WOR, and other radio stations, Bob Grant was a great guy and a master of performance art. That's what he was. I spent time with Bob. Bob is from San Diego area, Fallbrook, California, to be specific. I spent a weekend with Bob uh, with his uh, 
child and his grandchildren. He was spectacular. And you know what? He It was not about politics for Bob. It was about performing. He was a performer, one of the great performers of all time. You know, some of my best friends, because people love to call me a liberal, here are some of my best drinking buddies of all time. Morton Downey Jr., <laughs> Pat Buchanan, and others. These guys come off as hardcore conservatives, but you know what? Great people. Great people and not liars. They were just performers. 800-848-9222. Joe is in Queens. Joe, you're on with Tom Likas. Yeah, Tom, a couple of things about the podcast format. Uh, One would be it seems like Joe Rogan had Robert Malone on, and he was targeted, and they uh, went through, like, every one of his podcasts and deleted, like, about 100 of them, which seems pretty awful. But I'm wondering, another aspect is, I don't know how far that goes down the chain to less popular podcasters, if they would target them. And then another thing would be, uh, I do notice I've heard people on the radio for a long interview, say, coast to coast, and I've heard them on podcasts, and they much more, or at least noticeably more, let loose on the podcast as to what they really want to say. You know, that's another thing that's noticeable. So uh, what's your question, Joe, just about wh- why people say or do certain things on the in on podcasts versus on, on terrestrial radio? Well, well, it seems like they do let loose a little bit more. And then my last question would be, when, when, if you have 400 podcasts, is like podcast number 100 available for podcasters? I know some are up to episode 400. Do, do they... Uh, and how do you go all the way back to 100 without going play previously like 300 times? Can you do that? I don't understand the question. I mean, I'd love to answer it, but I don't understand it. Okay. Yeah, I will say, though, if you go to premiumtom.com, you could go back and listen to a lot of your archives, not only from the podcast you're doing now, Tom, right, but from your days when you were on the radio right. doing a lot of the no, segments. No, I've got podcasts going back years, over a decade. And, uh, you know, the, the fact is that when you do a podcast, you're generally not doing it for iHeartRadio or any big corporation. Even WABC is not a big corporation. It's a local company in New York City, and uh, you're not dealing with a big corporation. Now, if I were on, like, for example, iHeartRadio demanded that radio hosts who worked for them supported the Iraq war whether they support it or not. If you support, if you don't support it, you're off the air. That's how they did it. So many times now when you hear a podcast that is not being produced by a big American company, most of the time uh, the deal is that, uh, uh, you know, they're going to tell you what to say, what to do, who to believe in, who not to believe in. Let me tell you something about WABC, uh, which is impressive. WABC, which for years owned by big companies like American Broadcast Company, Capital Cities, uh, Cumulus, uh, Disney, Citadel. Cumulus, Citadel. But the point is, and, and I don't mean to make you blush here, Frank, but WABC is now a top 10 New York City radio station, which it hasn't been in 20 years. 20 years! 
Frank, you're so modest. I, I, this I, is I, please, I, I think it's tremendous. I, I really am. May, the... I, may, I, may I jump in here and say that I am, first of all, I worked at WABC in 1980. I am super impressed, super impressed to see that WABC today has higher ratings than it's had in 20 years. It, no, it's a great treat to be here, believe me. And uh, a lot of oh, folks. Hi. <laughs> I believe that. No, it's uh, I've worked for some of those companies that you just named, mm-hmm. and it's night and right. day, the current climate versus the climate yes. at any of those other places. All right, uh, yeah. Lar- uh, Alan is in Rockaway. Alan, you're on with Tom Likas. Uh, hi, how you doing? You know, I wanted to comment on this business of whether it's a good or bad idea to uh, uh, reduce the college debt with these giveaways. And I keep hearing people say, well, um, I don't want to pay for them. I paid for myself. They're not paying for him. They're paying taxes according to law, federal taxes, and and whatever that number is, that's what they pay. And it's the government's uh, uh, decision what they want to spend the money on. So uh, no one is making a sacrifice to anybody about uh, uh, having these people get a debt reduction, you know. and if and just one last point, if if the uh, U.S. government didn't spend seventy four gazillion dollars uh, on defense, maybe they could uh, spend, you know pay pay for some of these colleges off. Uh, well, you're not going to get an argument from me on the defense front. I'll, I'll let Tom comment, but I would just add I, I don't know much about economics, but on the political end, I think one of the things that's frustrating to people is that Congress is not even voting on this. The president is just doing this on his own when this wasn't exactly what he promised during the during the campaign. But Tom, uh, w- what's your response to Alan's uh, comment there? Well, you know, look, let's let's face it. Uh, the fact is that the government is. Uh, always making promises, always saying we're going to do this, and then they end up doing that. Um, Look, I am not, even though people may want to believe, I am not uh, some liberal who thinks Joe Biden walks on water. I'm not that guy. Never was. Uh, And uh, I do believe liberal is a dirty word over here. Well, it's not a matter of liberal being a a clean word or a dirty word. it's none of that. People have a right um, to be liberal, is, don't they? Yeah, no one's saying they don't. Alan, well, thanks. Uh, no, yeah. and in New York City, there's a lot of liberals. I get it. I get that. I grew up in New York City. I know. I rode the D train as a child. I'm well aware. I know. But I, I will say also that, look, the fact is that, um, you know, the, the politicians do what they have to do to get elected, and they do. They say what they have to say to get elected, and they say it. Uh, doesn't mean that they're right. Doesn't mean it's a good thing to say. But all I will say is that, uh, look, uh, the fact is that uh, we have had uh, a government uh, that has been in turmoil for years uh, locally uh, in local places like New York City. Nationally, like uh, the White House, we've had a lot of craziness out there. Um, the fact is that uh, uh, we are not uh, in a position where we have to worry about this stuff. Uh, we shouldn't be worrying about this stuff. We should be worried more about taking care of everybody 
every political point of view, every perspective. We should not be sitting here and saying one side deserves help, one side doesn't deserve help. Everybody needs help. Everybody needs assistance. Everybody. Farmers need assistance. Individuals who go to community college need assistance. And how are we going to help everybody? I don't know yet. Uh, Tom, the other day we had on uh, Alex Bennett on the on this program, and uh, he reminisced yes. a, a great deal about his time at WMCA and WPLJ, even a little bit of his time on the radio in the Bay Area. And in previous conversations, yeah. we talked about his time on uh, Sirius Satellite Radio. Obviously, you were coming of age and a big radio listener when Alex was sort of in his prime here in New York. What's your take on Alex yeah. Bennett as a radio personality? Alex Bennett was a great radio personality. Alex Bennett was the first person to expose talk radio to a young audience. I will be the first one to tell you that Alex Bennett uh, was important in that regard in New York City and elsewhere where he did that. So I, I was a big fan of Alex. Alex and I have had agreements and disagreements over the years personally, but I, I'm not going to lie. Alex Bennett was important in that he exposed talk radio to people under 50 and was good at it. Yeah, uh, try and find a, a lot of that under 50 audience now on the AM dial. I, I think it's uh, pretty rare. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with uh, Tom Likas in just a moment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano, uh, joined by Tom Likas, who, even though he started life as a New Yorker, these days identifies very much as a Dodger fan, uh, someone else who made the shift from East Coast to West Coast and uh, uh, didn't change his Dodger affiliation, is somebody that uh, we lost recently, the one and only Vince Scully. What a marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. Uh, Tom Likas, as a broadcaster and as a Dodger fan, uh, what, what was your take on uh, Vince Scully as an announcer and as a, as a broadcast personality? Vince Scully... To put it bluntly, is the reason I left New York City and came to Los Angeles. He is the one and only reason. Vince Scully, uh, by the way, I have a lot of co- in common with Vince Scully. I'm not saying I have the talent of Vince Scully. I don't. But uh, Vince Scully is from Washington Heights, which is where I've, I'm from, Washington Heights, upper Manhattan. Vince Scully lived in the Bronx. I lived in the Bronx on Sheridan Avenue across from Taft High School. Vince Scully was an amazing personality, an amazing talent, and uh, I wanted to be him. I'm not going to lie. I wanted to be him. And so I went to Fordham University like Vince Scully. I followed Vince Scully. Do you know in 1965, I was nine years old, 
and I was sitting on my grandmother's floor in her apartment off Florida Road in the Bronx. And I heard Vince Scully for the first time when I was nine years old. And I said, that's it. That's what I want to be, Vince Scully. And I, I, I did that. I moved to Los Angeles. I went to Fordham University first. When I came to L.A., uh, I was uh, just a huge fan of his, listened to him every day, wanted to be him in every possible way. One of the great broadcasters, such an idol, uh, such a great guy to uh, to want to follow in the footsteps of, which I did. I I'll never be Vin Scully, uh, but I will say that uh, many things I did in my career had to do with Vin. Growing up in Washington Heights and moving to Los Angeles, and uh, I wanted to be that. For people that don't follow baseball, or for people that don't watch the Dodgers, or didn't watch the Dodgers, what was it that made Vin Scully so special as a broadcaster? Um, because he was the very, very, very best. The very best. And who's the very best at anything, really? I mean, mm. we've, in, in New York City, we had some amazing people to look up to in the broadcasting business. And I'm going to name some. Marty Glickman who for years was the primary play-by-play guy with the New York football giants, Marty Glickman, Red Barber, who was Vin Scully's, uh, uh, you know, uh, he was Vin Scully's, uh, Vin Scully was his idol, uh, or he was Vin Scully's idol, Red Barber, who did both the Brooklyn Dodgers and the New York Yankees. By the way, the thing people have forgotten about uh, Red Barber, is that he got fired by the Yankees. Do you know he went on the air in 1965, the year the Yankees went from first place to last place? I was there. (laughs) I saw this. And uh, Red Barber, uh, who saw himself as a journalist, came on the air and said, hey, there's only 431 people at Yankee Stadium. He said to the director on camera, live, he said, let's show this to the audience, how few people are here. And when he did that, he got fired. One of the great broadcasters and certainly someone Vin Scully looked up to. Uh, amazing. But I follow Vin Scully's career in every way, what he, the people he looked up to, what he did, what he didn't do, how he did it. He was incredible. And for people in Los Angeles – you know, for many years, Los Angeles didn't have any games on TV. Do you know that? Do you know that in L.A., at one time, they showed nine games a year wow. on no. TV? And do you know what the games were? They were the Dodgers playing the Giants in San Francisco. <laughs> and they did not show any other games. If you want to see the game, you had to pay to get in. <laughs> I did not know amazing that. Thing, really. I want to try and squeeze in as many yeah. calls as we can here in the next uh, few minutes sure. of uh, having Tom yeah. Likas here. Peter in Manhattan, you're on with Tom Likas. Yes, hello. Bob Grant was a very insecure person, very talented, but was limited by cultural stereotypes that he had to play to. My question to you, Tom, I heard you speak about entertain, uh, talk show hosts or entertainers. So, therefore, yeah. Yeah. I, as the public, should not consider anything you say or anyone of your ilk seriously. No, and, and by the way, you're absolutely right. And let me tell you why. We are here to entertain you. That's the number one thing we're here to do. That's what here Frank is here to do. Absolutely. That's what I am here to do 
is to entertain you. We are, so are you not saying? Wait, are you saying that? Wait a minute. Are you saying that people like Howard Stern that spread hate and vulgarity? Oh, Howard Stern doesn't spread hate. Come on. Personally, I mean, I, I, I mean that's absurd. As far as I'm concerned. Yeah. John is in Brooklyn. Hello, John. Yes, I wanted to ask this one name that I thought you both of you would mention, and. Uh, even though I found him infuriating at times, I will say that at least during the first 10 years that he had a nationally syndicated radio show, I found him very funny, even when I was upset with him. I'm referring, of course, to Rush Limbaugh. And I'm interested in, in your, your thoughts. Tom, what's your take on Rush Limbaugh as a, as a radio talent? Rush Limbaugh was a close friend of mine for years and then disappeared. He ghosted me. Um, but... Uh, the fact is that Rush Limbaugh was a talented, entertaining guy. However, uh, you know, the fact is that he started taking himself too seriously. Um, you know, what a lot, of, a lot of guys who do what we do, what Frank does, what I do, a lot of guys forget what we're here to do. We're here to attract ears. We're here to sell advertising. That's what we're here to do. And uh, that's what Rush Limbaugh was here to do. But unfortunately, Rush started taking his own um, image seriously. And people kept telling him much they loved, loved, loved him, and he was so fabulous. But the reality was, look, we are entertainers. Don't believe what we say in terms of news or facts. We are not here to give you facts. We are here to entertain. We are here to keep you listening. We're here to sell advertising. That's what we're here to do. I don't lie about it. I tell the truth. That's what Rush did. That's what I do. Let me say hello to Donovan in Canada. Hello, Donovan. Hi, Frank. And hi, Tom. Uh, I was a hi. huge fan of your show back in the 90s. Listened avidly yeah. in Seattle. And for the short time you were on in Vancouver um, yeah. until that ended. But question i gotta ask you your show in the 90s was very edgy was uh against the line sometimes see people could say a little bit crass but i saw it for what it was incredibly entertaining and intellectual at the same time considering the time we're in right now with cancel culture and everything do you think radio will ever go back to a point in time where people could do what you did and get away with it, or do we naturally have to see an evolution? Well, look, the bottom line is that uh, what we did was appropriate for the time we did it. I can't make it any clearer than that. We did what worked in the years we were doing a show. And uh, will radio do that again? Probably not. But there's other reasons, including the fact that, I mean, WABC is an exception. It's an outlier. It's so successful. But really, around the country, these talk radio stations, maybe they're the lowest rated stations in their markets. WABC is huge, huge. It's a top 10 radio station. Holy crap. That's amazing to me. And I grew up listening to WABC, okay? But I don't think in general we're going to see – uh, those times anytime soon. At some point, maybe. But right now, no. We're not going to see those kinds of programs on the air. Thank you, Donovan. 
Um, if Tom Like is here. We only have about a minute minute left here. I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to get into another call. Those of you that we couldn't get to, we'll try and get to you uh, next time. Tom is on. Uh, if yeah. you want to check out Tom's podcast, go to premiumtom.com. That's premiumtom.com. Uh, Tom, what do you do? It you do it uh, once a week, or, or are you still doing it multiple times a week? Three, time, three times. Three times. Three times. Three week. times a week. Sometimes twice, but mostly three times a week. I do uh, what the people want. I talk about things they write about. Tom, they uh, write to me. They think talk about this. Thank, thank you very much, my friend. We'll do it again soon. Keep asking questions. Frank, thank you.